Section twelve of the Treasure Chest of My Bookhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. The Treasure Chest of My Bookhouse. Edited by Olive Beaupre Miller. David Copperfield and Little Emily. My good nurse Peggotty and I were sitting alone one evening, my mother being out in company with peggotty's darning and the little piece of candle with which she waxed her thread and the little house with a thatched roof where the yard measure lived and peggotty's workbox with a view of st paul's cathedral painted on the top i had been reading aloud about crocodiles when peggotty after looking at me several times and opening her mouth as if she were going to speak without doing it said coaxingly master davy how should you like to go along with me and spend a fortnight at my brother's at yarmouth wouldn't that be a treat is your brother an agreeable man peggotty i inquired oh what an agreeable man he is cried peggotty holding up her hands then there's the sea and the boats and ships and the fishermen and the beach and am to play with peggotty meant her nephew ham but she spoke of him as a morsel of english grammar i was flushed by her summary of delights and replied that it would indeed be a treat but what would my mother say why then i'll as good as bet a guinea said peggotty that she'll let us go i'll ask her if you like as soon as ever she comes home but what's she to do while we're away said i putting my small elbows on the table she can't live by herself oh bless you said peggotty looking at me again don't you know she's going to stay for a fortnight with mrs graper oh if that was it i was quite ready to go i waited in the utmost impatience until my mother came home to ascertain if we could get leave to carry out this great idea without being nearly so much surprised as i had expected my mother entered into it readily it was all arranged that night and my board and lodging during the visit were to be paid for the day soon came for our going it was such an early day that it came soon even to me who was in a fever of expectation and half afraid that an earthquake or a fiery mountain or some other great convulsion of nature might interpose to stop the expedition we were to go in a carrier's cart which departed in the morning after breakfast i would have given any money to have been allowed to wrap myself up overnight and sleep in my hat and boots i am glad to recollect that when the carrier's cart was at the gate and my mother stood there kissing me a grateful fondness for her and for the old place i had never turned my back upon before made me cry i am glad to know that my mother cried too and that i felt her heart beat against mine i am glad to recollect that when the carrier began to move my mother ran out of the gate and called to him to stop that she might kiss me once more i am glad to dwell upon the earnestness and love with which she lifted up her face to mine and did so the carrier's horse was the laziest horse in the world i should hope and shuffled along with his head down as if he liked to keep the people waiting to whom the packages were directed i fancied indeed that he sometimes chuckled over this reflection but the carrier said he was only troubled with a cough the carrier had a way of keeping his head down like his horse and of drooping sleepily forward as he drove with one of his arms on each of his knees i say drove but it struck me that the cart would have gone to yarmouth quite as well without him for the horse did all that and as to conversation he had no idea of it but whistling peggotty had a basket of refreshment on her knee which would have lasted us out handsomely if we had been going to london by the same conveyance we ate a good deal and slept a good deal peggotty always went to sleep with her chin upon the handle of the basket her hold of which never relaxed and i could not have believed unless i had heard her do it that one woman could have snored so much 
we made so many turns up and down lanes and was such a long time delivering a bedstead at a public house and calling at other places that i was quite tired and very glad when we saw yarmouth it looked rather spongy and soppy i thought as i carried my eye over the great dull waste that lay across the river and i could not help wondering if the world were really as round as my geography book said how any part of it came to be so flat as we drew a little nearer and saw all the land round about lying a straight low line under the sky i hinted to peggotty that a mound or so might have improved it but peggotty said with greater emphasis than usual that we must take things as we found them and that for her part she was proud to call herself a yarmouth bloater when we got into the street which was strange enough to me and smelt the fish and pitch and oakum and tar and saw the sailors walking about and the carts jingling up and down over the stones i felt that i had done so busy a place an injustice and said as much to peggotty who heard my expressions of delight with great satisfaction and told me it was well known i suppose to those who had the good fortune to be born bloaters that yarmouth was upon the whole the finest place in the universe here's my am screamed peggotty growed out of knowledge he was waiting for us in fact at the public house and asked me how i found myself like an old acquaintance i did not feel at first that i knew him as well as he knew me but our friendship was much advanced by his taking me on his back to carry me home he was a huge strong fellow of six feet high broad in proportion and round-shouldered but with a simpering boy's face and curly light hair that gave him quite a sheepish look he was dressed in a canvas jacket and a pair of such very stiff trousers that they would have stood quite as well alone without any legs in them ham carrying me on his back and a small box of ours under his arm and peggotty carrying another small box of ours we turned down lanes littered with bits of chips and little hillocks of sand and went past gas-works rope-walks boat-builders yards shipwrights yards shipbreakers yards corkers yards riggers lofts smiths forges and a great many of such places until we came out upon the dull waste i had already seen at a distance when ham said yon's our house master davy i looked in all directions as far as i could stare over the wilderness and away at the sea and away at the river but no house could i make out there was a barge or some other kind of old boat not far off high and dry on the ground with an iron funnel sticking out of it for a chimney and smoking very cosily but nothing else in the way of a house that was visible to me that's not it said i that ship-looking thing that's it master davy returned ham if it had been aladdin's palace rock's egg and all i suppose i could not have been more charmed with the romantic idea of living in it there was a delightful door cut in the side and it was roofed in and there were little windows in it but the wonderful charm of it was that it was a real boat which had no doubt been upon the water hundreds of times and which had never been intended to be lived in on dry land that was the captivation of it to me if it had ever been meant to be lived in i might have thought it small or inconvenient or lonely but never having been designed for any such use it became a perfect dwelling it was beautifully clean inside and as tidy as possible there was a table and a dutch clock and a chest of drawers and on the chest of drawers there was a tea-tray with a painting on it of a lady with a parasol taking a walk with a military-looking child who was trundling a hoop the tray was kept from tumbling down by a bible and the tray if it had tumbled down would have smashed a quality of cups and saucers and a teapot that were grouped around the book 
on the walls there were some common coloured pictures framed and glazed of scripture subjects abraham in red going to sacrifice isaac in blue and daniel in yellow cast into a den of green lions over the little mantel-shelf was a picture of the sarah jane lugger built at sunderland with a real little wooden stern stuck on to it there were some hooks in the beams of the ceiling the use of which i did not understand then and some lockers and boxes which served for seats and filled out the shortage of chairs all this i saw in the first glance after i crossed the threshold and then peggotty opened a little door and showed me my bedroom it was the completest and most desirable bedroom ever seen in the stern of the vessel it had a little window where the rudder used to go through a little looking-glass just the right height for me nailed against the wall and framed with oyster shells a little bed which there was just room enough to get into and a nosegay of seaweed in a blue mug on the table the walls were whitewashed as white as milk and the patchwork counterpane made my eyes quite ache with its brightness one thing i particularly noticed in this delightful house was the smell of fish which was so searching that when i took out my pocket handkerchief to wipe my nose i found it smelt exactly as if it had wrapped up a lobster on my telling peggotty of this discovery she informed me that her brother dealt in lobsters crabs and crawfish and i afterwards found that a heap of these creatures wonderfully jumbled up together and never leaving off pinching whatever they laid hold of were usually to be found in a little outhouse where the pots and kettles were kept we were welcomed by a very civil woman in a white apron whom i had seen curtsying at the door when i was on ham's back and about a quarter of a mile off likewise by a most beautiful little girl or i thought her so with a necklace of blue beads on who wouldn't let me kiss her when i offered to but ran away and hid herself by and by when we had dined in a sumptuous manner of boiled dabs melted butter and potatoes with a chop for me a hairy man with a very good-natured face came home as he called peggotty lass and gave her a hearty smack on the cheek i had no doubt that he was her brother and so he turned out being presently introduced to me as mr peggotty glad to see you sir said mr peggotty you'll find us rough sir but you'll find us ready i thanked him and replied that i was sure i should be happy in such a delightful place how's your ma sir said mr peggotty did you leave her pretty jolly i gave mr peggotty to understand that she was as jolly as i could wish well sir if you can make out here for a fortnight long we her nodding at his sister and ham and little emily we shall be proud of your company having done the honours of his house in this hospitable manner mr peggotty went out to wash himself in a kettle full of hot water remarking that cold would never get his muck off he soon returned greatly improved in appearance but so ruddy that i couldn't help thinking his face had this in common with the lobsters crabs and crawfish that it went into the hot water very black and came out very red after tea when the door was shut and all was made snug the nights being cold and misty now it seemed to me the most delicious retreat that ever could be imagined to hear the wind getting up out at sea to know that the fog was creeping over the desolate flat outside and to look at the fire and think that there was no house near but this one and this one a boat was like enchantment little emily had overcome her shyness and was sitting by my side upon the lowest and least of the lockers which was just large enough for us two and just fitted into the chimney corner mrs peggotty with the white apron was knitting on the opposite side of the fire peggotty at her needlework was as much at home with st paul's 
and the bit of wax candle as if they had never known any other roof ham was trying to recollect a scheme of telling fortunes with the dirty cards and printing off fishy impressions of his thumb on all the cards he turned mr peggotty was smoking his pipe i felt it was time for conversation mr peggotty says i sir says he did you give your son the name of ham because you lived in a sort of ark mr peggotty seemed to think this a deep idea but answered no sir i never give him no name who did give him that name then said i why sir his father give it him said mr peggotty i thought you were his father my brother joe was his father said mr peggotty dead mr peggotty i hinted after a respectful pause drowned dead said mr peggotty i was very much surprised that mr peggotty was not ham's father and began to wonder whether i was mistaken about his relationship to anybody else there i was so curious to know that i made up my mind to have it out with mr peggotty little emily i said glancing at her she is your daughter isn't she mr peggotty no sir my brother-in-law tom was her father i couldn't help it dead mr peggotty i hinted after another respectful silence drowned dead said mr peggotty haven't you any children mr peggotty no master he answered with a short laugh i'm a bachelor a bachelor i said astonished why who's that mr peggotty pointing to the person in the apron who was knitting that's mrs gummidge said mr peggotty gummidge mr peggotty but at this point peggotty i mean my own peculiar peggotty made such impressive motions to me not to ask any further questions that i could only sit and look at all the silent company until it was time to go to bed then in the privacy of my own little cabin she informed me that ham and emily were an orphan nephew and niece whom my host had at different times adopted in their childhood when they were left destitute and that mrs gummidge was the widow of his partner in a boat who had died very poor he was but a poor man himself said peggotty but as good as gold and as true as steel the only subject she informed me on which he never showed a violent temper or swore an oath was this generosity of his and if it were ever referred to by any one of them he struck the table a heavy blow with his right hand had split it on one such occasion and swore a dreadful oath that he would be gormed if he didn't cut and run away for good if it was ever mentioned again it appeared in answer to my inquiries that nobody had the least idea of the meaning of this terrible word to be gormed but that they all regarded it as the most solemn oath i was very sensible of my entertainer's goodness and listened to the women's going to bed in another little crib like mine at the opposite end of the boat and to him and ham hanging up two hammocks for themselves on the hooks i had noticed in the roof as slumber gradually stole upon me i heard the wind howling out at sea and coming on across the flat so fiercely that i had a lazy apprehension of the great deep rising in the night but i bethought myself that i was in a boat after all and that a man like mr peggotty was not a bad person to have on board if anything did happen nothing happened however worse than morning almost as soon as it shone upon the oyster-shell frame of my mirror i was out of bed and out with little emily picking up stones upon the beach you're quite a sailor i suppose i said to emily i don't know that i supposed anything of the kind but i felt it an act of gallantry to say something no replied emily shaking her head i'm afraid of the sea afraid i said with an air of boldness and looking very big at the mighty ocean i ain't 
ah but it's cruel said emily i have seen it tear a boat as big as our house all to pieces i hope it wasn't the boat that that father was drowned in said emily no not that one i never see that boat nor him i asked her little emily shook her head not to remember here was a point of likeness in our two lives i immediately went into an explanation how i had never seen my own father and how my mother and i had always lived by ourselves in the happiest state imaginable and always meant to live so but said emily as she looked about for shells and pebbles your father was a gentleman and your mother is a lady and my father was a fisherman and my mother was a fisherman's daughter and my uncle dan is a fisherman dan is mr peggotty is he said i he must be very good i should think good said emily if i was ever to be a lady i'd give him a sky-blue coat with diamond buttons nankeen trousers a red velvet waistcoat a cocked hat a large gold watch a silver pipe and a box of money i said i had no doubt that mr peggotty well deserved these treasures i must acknowledge that i felt it difficult to picture him quite at his ease in the raiment proposed for him by his grateful little niece and that i was particularly doubtful about the cocked hat but i kept these sentiments to myself you would like to be a lady i said emily looked at me and laughed and nodded yes i should like it very much we would all be gentle folks together then me and uncle and ham and mrs gummidge and we'd help the poor fishermen with money when they came to any hurt this seemed to me to be a very satisfactory picture i expressed my pleasure in it and little emily was emboldened to say shyly don't you think you are afraid of the sea now it was quiet enough to reassure me but i have no doubt if i had seen a moderately large wave come tumbling in i should have taken to my heels however i said no and i added you don't seem to be either though you say you are for she was walking much too near the brink of a sort of old jetty or wooden causeway we had strolled upon and i was afraid of her falling over i'm not afraid in this way said little emily but i wake when it blows and tremble to think of uncle dan and ham and believe i hear them crying out for help but i'm not afraid in this way not a bit look here she started from my side and ran along a jagged timber which protruded from the place we stood upon and overhung the deep water at some height without the least defence springing forward to her destruction as it appeared to me i uttered a cry but directly the light bold fluttering little figure turned and came back safe to me and i soon laughed at my fears we strolled a long way and loaded ourselves with things that we thought curious and put some stranded starfish carefully back into the water then made our way home to mr peggotty's dwelling we stopped under the lee of the lobster outhouse to exchange an innocent kiss and went into breakfast glowing with health and pleasure like two young mavishes mr peggotty said i knew this meant in our local dialect like two young thrushes and received it as a compliment of course i was in love with little emily my fancy raised up something round that blue-eyed mite of a child which made a very angel of her if any sunny forenoon she had spread a little pair of wings and flown away before my eyes i don't think i should have regarded it as much more than i had had reason to expect we used to walk about that dim old flat at yarmouth in a loving manner hours and hours the days sported by us as if time had not grown up himself yet but were a child too and always at play we were the admiration of mrs gummidge and peggotty who used to whisper of an evening when we sat lovingly on our little locker side by side lor wasn't it beautiful 
Mr. Peggotty smiled at us from behind his pipe, and Ham grinned all the evening, and did nothing else. I soon found out that Mrs. Gummidge did not always make herself so agreeable as she might have been expected to do, in consideration of the kindness with which Mr. Peggotty had taken her in. Mrs. Gummidge's was rather a fretful disposition, and she whimpered more sometimes than was comfortable for other parties in so small an establishment. I was very sorry for her, but there were moments when it would have been more agreeable, I thought, if Mrs. Gummidge had had a convenient apartment of her own to retire to, and had stopped there until her spirits revived. Mr. Peggotty went occasionally to a public house called The Willing Mind. I discovered this by his being out on the second or third evening of our visit, and by Mrs. Gummidge's looking up at the Dutch clock between eight and nine, and saying he was there, and that, what was more, she had known in the morning he would go there. Mrs. Gummidge had been in a low state all day, and had burst into tears in the forenoon, when the fire smoked. I am a lone, lorn creature, were Mrs. Gummidge's words, when that unpleasant occurrence took place, and everything goes contrary with me. Oh, it'll soon leave off, said Peggotty. I again mean our Peggotty, and besides, it's not more disagreeable to you than to us. I feel it more, said Mrs. Gummidge. It was a very cold day, with cutting blasts of wind. Mrs. Gummidge's peculiar corner of the fireside seemed to me to be the warmest and snuggest in the place, as her chair was certainly the easiest, but it didn't suit her that day at all. She was constantly complaining of the cold, and of its occasioning what she called the creeps in her back. At last, she shed tears on that subject and said again that she was a lone lorn creature and everything went contrary with her it is certainly very cold said peggotty everybody must feel it i feel it more than other people said mrs gummidge so at dinner when mrs gummidge was always helped immediately after me to whom the preference was given as a visitor of distinction the fish were small and bony and the potatoes were a little burnt we all acknowledged that we felt this something of a disappointment but mrs gummidge said she felt it more than we did and shed tears again accordingly when mr peggotty came home about nine o'clock this unfortunate mrs gummidge was knitting in her corner in a very wretched and miserable condition peggotty had been working cheerfully ham had been patching up a great pair of water boots and i with little emily by my side had been reading to them mrs gummidge had never made any other remark than a forlorn sigh and had never raised her eyes since tea well mates said mr peggotty taking his seat and how are you we all said something or looked something to welcome him except mrs gummidge who shook her head over her knitting what's amiss said mr peggotty with a clap of his hands cheer up old mother mr peggotty meant old girl mrs gummidge did not appear to be able to cheer up she took out an old black silk handkerchief and wiped her eyes but instead of putting it in her pocket kept it out and wiped them again and still kept it out ready for use what's amiss dame said mr peggotty nothing returned mrs gummidge you've come from the willing mind dan why yes i've took a short spell at the willing mind to-night said mr peggotty i'm sorry i should drive you there said mrs gummidge drive i don't want no driving returned mr peggotty with an honest laugh i only go too ready very ready said mrs gummidge shaking her head and wiping her eyes yes yes very ready i am sorry it should be along of me that you are so ready along of you it ain't along of you said mr peggotty don't you believe a bit on it yes yes it is cried mrs gummidge i know what i am i know that i'm a lone lorn creature and not only that everything goes contrary with me but that i go contrary with everybody 
yes yes i feel more than other people do when i show it more it's my misfortune i really couldn't help thinking as i sat taking in all this that it was a misfortune for other members of that family besides mrs gummidge but mr peggotty made no such retort only answering with another entreaty to mrs gummidge to cheer up i ain't what i could wish myself to be said mrs gummidge i am far from it i know what i am my troubles has made me contrary i feel my troubles and they make me contrary i wish i didn't feel em but i do i wish i could be hardened to em but i ain't i make the house uncomfortable i've made your sister so all day and master davy here i was suddenly melted and roared out no you haven't mrs gummidge in great mental distress it's far from right that i should do it said mrs gummidge it ain't a fit return i'd better go into the poorhouse and die i am a lone lorn creature and had much better not make myself contrary here mrs gummidge retired with these words and betook herself to bed when she was gone mr peggotty who had not exhibited a trace of any feeling but the profoundest sympathy looked around upon us and nodding his head with a lively expression of pity still animating his face said in a whisper she's been thinking of the old un i did not quite understand what old one mrs gummidge was supposed to have fixed her mind upon until peggotty on seeing me to bed explained that it was the late mr gummidge and that her brother always took that for a received truth on such occasions and that it always had a moving effect upon him some time after he was in his hammock that night i heard him myself repeat to ham poor thing she's been thinking of the old un and whenever mrs gummidge was overcome in a similar manner during the remainder of our stay which happened some few times he always said the same thing in explanation of the circumstance and always with the tenderest pity so the fortnight slipped away varied by nothing but the variation of the tide which altered mr peggotty's times of going out and coming in and altered ham's engagements also when the latter was unemployed he sometimes walked with us to show us the boats and ships and once or twice he took us for a row i never hear the name or read the name of yarmouth but i am reminded of a certain sunday morning on the beach the bells ringing for church little emily leaning on my shoulder ham lazily dropping stones into the water and the sun away at sea just breaking through the heavy mist and showing us the ships like their own shadows at last the day came for going home i bore up against the separation from mr peggotty and mrs gummidge but my sorrow at leaving little emily was piercing we went arm in arm to the public house where the carrier put up and i promised on the road to write to her i kept that promise afterwards in letters larger than those in which apartments are usually announced as being to let we were greatly overcome at parting and if i ever in my life i have had a void made in my heart i had one made that day End of section 12